0: Amen. Take a seat if you would. Lord, as we open our Bibles this morning, we look to you, we thank you and praise you that you are a God who is, as we just sang, gives abundantly more. We ask that you continue in your abundant giving by opening our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our souls just to receive what it is you have for us today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me for the purpose of building up your church for the sake of your glory. Spirit, remove me from the equation and speak directly to our hearts. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Get your Bibles out. We're gonna talk about this verse. Now, I did this sermon series at the previous church, but this stuff I'm doing now in this sermon series is brand new. Um, and again, the this is living an offense-free life. This is part four. Probably the biggest thing you probably remember is all the cars in that ugly red Fiesta that was Keith Larson, right? It was like 45 to 93 horsepower. That's what it said in the information. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Paul speaking says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to begin by talking about, um, actually, Baseball. One of the things that was my joy of um, growing up is that my dad was a a, a athlete and my grandfather was a coach. My dad was a very good baseball player. Turns out that was passed on to me. It was my best sport, even though I played football, basketball, and baseball. So I um, was eager to see my sons play baseball, and so I got to coach them. And I remember, um, in we moved to Indiana, and I didn't want to coach. I mean, it's a blessing having four kids but have you ever had four kids in sports at one time it's a nightmare and so Jacob was was gave up sports like that's great i just kept lydia away from sports because i was so busy with david and mark and i was coaching and i was able to get david who was a fourth grader to time on mark we were sixth grade i believe on the same team that first year and david was playing against people that were kids that were older than him and, and he did did okay but it was just such a physical difference and uh, my focus was more on Mark. Well, the second year, I didn't want to, yeah, I said, I'll just coach David, and you were with Coach Park, I believe, in, in that t- team, Sun Park and, and everything, baseball, baseball. And um, I remember being, uh, to coaching David and, and seeing him play with kids more his age, I remember being the third base line, uh, uh, third base coach, and um, he just, clocked one and it almost went out of the park and he got a triple out of it. I said, like, oh, he's starting to hit the ball now, okay? Well, that following year, I decided to coach you, and that's when your body started falling apart. Remember all that? You started, Mark just grew inches, inches, plural, that year, and he had you know, all these growing pains. and He was literally like, and this is not an exaggeration, um, an, an 80 or 90-year-old man. He, it was, took him forever to get up. He was in such pain. Um, and um, so I was with Mark, but I kept getting these, and David was playing baseball, a different coach, and I kept getting these uh, texts or phone calls from Erica because sometimes the games were the same time, so I couldn't see him play, and, and David was hitting the ball really well. So I began working with David more and more and more, and so he had gotten uh, Mark's old aluminum bat, then he graduated up to, as he got better, his own bat, and then of course, The last year or two, we went big time. They don't use aluminum anymore, they use what's called composite bats that are super expensive, but David had earned it uh, because he was, and I've shared this before, he could really hit the baseball, especially a fastball. Now my point of that story, it's it's this, is that David progressed. And I told you there's a progression in that prayer in Ephesians three fourteen to 21. The strengthening of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. That's the next step. Followed by you operating or, or, or living a life grounded in love. You're rooted and grounded in love. Then the next step when you get that done is then you begin to understand the love of God that's beyond understanding. Then the next step is you're filled with the fullness of God and then God is able to work through you and do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. Those are steps, it's a progression. Well, guess what? This right here it's a progressive steps. It's a progression. Okay? Paul is calling us to walk worthy of our calling as citizens of God's kingdom. Now, our high calling Laid out in Ephesians chapters one through three, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. God says, you need to balance that out. Your high calling demands that you balance it out, that you walk worthy, that's what the word worthy means of balancing. And you do it by displaying five characteristics, five traits. What are they? Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and unity, okay? Now, these are not, uh, or these character traits, they're not external activities, okay? But they're internal heart attitudes that are produced in us by who? Thus the need to be what? Filled or empowered by the Holy Spirit, that inner strengthening back in Ephesians chapter 3. Therefore, what we do, our behavior, is always a result of? Who we are okay it's result of who we are there's always being before doing right because we live from the heart now that being said think about this for a moment there is a progression in these character traits it begins with humility and it, it says with all humility which of course is translated what total humility it is total humility we said based on philippians 2 3 through 8 that we see that total humility is the absence of self. In humility of mind, you put the interests of others first. Just as Jesus Christ emptied himself, in humility became a servant of men, so we too must think of others first before our own self-interests. And when there is humility, and it's a win. when there is humility, there will inevitably be meekness or gentleness. It's the same word. And meekness, you see, is the byproduct of humility. Last week we learned that meekness is a quiet, willing submission to God that is willing to bear a burden. It is a power under control. Because self has been eliminated, there's no retaliation or vengeance that characterizes the unbelieving world meekness is not cowardice it's not timidity it's that power you have under control and meek people get angry but only in what defense of God they ever defend themselves they're angry at the right time for the right reasons and for the right length of time now watch this when there's gentleness when there's humility there's gentleness then there will be patience. And let me explain to you what that is. So we'll talk about a long fuse. You're going to learn some Greek this morning. Patience is a Greek word, makrothumia. Say it, ma-kro-thu-mia. Makrothumia. Say it again, makrothumia. It means endurance, long suffering, or long tempered. These are not words we like to hear. Okay? Long, endurance, long suffering, or long tempered. In other words, patient people do not have a short fuse. They are long tempered. Now, when I think of patience, I like to think of the word long suffering. And long suffering is. It's a, that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation that does not immediately punish or retaliate, okay? It's the opposite of anger. Folks, it's the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. Therefore, it's also the opposite of despondency. It's associated with hope. And as you can see from this detailed definition, there are multiple concepts I'm gonna explain to you about patience. More specifically, there are three main ideas, and I put them up here for you. This is the first idea of the Greek word makrothumia. It's an attitude which never gets into negative circumstances. You are seeing patience being demonstrated right now in Ukraine. Are the people giving in to their? uh, I would say that war is a pretty negative circumstance, wouldn't you? See, it doesn't matter how bad the circumstances are, patience or long suffering, it never gives in. Now, we see this illustrated in the story of Abraham. Do you remember his story? In Genesis chapter 12, just listen to this verses 1 through 4, it says this. The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord spoke to him. And Lot went with them. Now, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, now, again, where is he going? He doesn't know. He's just not staying in Haran. He's going out. That's the element of faith. Okay, he is 75 years old, and he knows that he's going to be a blessing, that from his loins are going to come a great nation. The problem was what? He and his wife, Sarah, had no children. They were beyond the age of childbearing. But what did Abraham have? Faith in the promise of God. Yet their attempts, and now think about this God comes to you, tells you to go in faith to this place I will show you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. He would go home and tell Sarah, right, what had happened, and they would do what? Try to have children, right? Because how else are they going to become a great nation? Yet their attempts to have children failed year after year after year after year. But of course, how long did Abraham patiently wait for God to fulfill his promise? Well, in Genesis chapter 21, it says this, verses 1 through 5, one through two and verse five. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as what He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as He had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him, verse five. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So how long did he have to wait for the fulfillment of that promise? 25 years, Abraham patiently waited for God to fill his promise. Even though each passing day, year after year, what did his circumstances tell him? It wasn't going to happen, right? He had no heir. His situation was hopeless. You ever been in a situation like that? You ever given in to negative circumstances? Now, the writer of Hebrews said this about Abraham. I think I put this verse up here. Yeah. Abraham, having patiently waited, makrothumia, he obtained the promise. Abraham endured negative circumstances, and yet he never lost his patience. In fact, it says in, in Romans of Abraham that in hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Now watch this, verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, during that time, he did not become weak in faith. But he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. I love that because verse 19 keeps him in, in reality. He looked at reality. The only way it was ever going to happen was that God was going to perform a miracle. And he didn't look to his circumstances. He patiently waited upon the promise of God. Yet, with respect, verse 20, to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, he grew strong as he patiently waited. That's how God develops your muscles of patience. Through time, so that when Isaac was old enough, I think he was either eight or thirteen. God wanted him, Abraham, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, and Abraham did it. Was willing to do it, and God stopped his hand. Now the man at seventy-five couldn't do what the man over a hundred was able to do. Well, why? He had grown strong in faith through. Makrothumia, patience. He learned to endure and not give in to negative circumstances. Okay? The second point about patience is it's not only the attitude that can endure negative circumstances, but it is the attitude that can take anything people can dish out. Now you know as well as I do, sometimes the problem in life isn't your circumstances. It's the people around us. Macrothumia is used in the scripture to speak of patience with people. Ugh. I think Jerry Seinfeld said it best when he was talking to Elaine, he said this. Jerry says, but what about those nitwits who get on a plane with nothing to read? You know what those people are and lane says who jerry says these are the people who want to talk to you they've got nothing else to do why not disturb you and lane says i will never understand people and jerry says this and it's a classic they're the worst people they're the worst and isn't that true let's be honest with each other it's true about people and guess what it's since the church is made up of people it's true about the church Reinhold Niebuhr was an American Reformed theologian. He said the church was like Noah's Ark. If it weren't for the storm outside, you couldn't stand the stink inside. (laughs) It is for this reason that Paul instructed Timothy with these words. Did I put it up here or not? Yeah. Be patient with everyone. I hate this verse. Because look, Paul says everyone, no one is exempt. There is not one category of humanity. Listen to this male, female, father, mother, child, grandfather, grandmother, uncle, aunt, cousin, niece, nephew, father in law, mother in law. Yeah. (laughs) Father in law, mother in law. Okay brother-in-law, sister-in-law, boss, co-worker, subordinate, neighbor, friend, enemy, church member, pastor, elder, or deacon that we do not have to be patient or long-tempered with at one point or time in our lives. That list was exhausting to even read. Everyone, be patient with everyone. See, the spirit behind a patient person is one that refuses to retaliate to people. See, it's meekness applied It's saying, I don't care what insult, what injury, what persecution, what unfair treatment, what maligning, what slander, what criticism, what hatred, what jealousy, what envy, I don't care whatever it is you throw at me, I can accept that without blame or bitterness or irritation or complaining. And boy, that is hard. But, you know, with that type of person, that type of patient person, that spirit filled patient person, you can't get into fight with that type of person, can you? I mean, how do you get to this point in your character? Well, guess what? You begin by walking in what? Total humility, the emptying of self. And because self is removed, I don't care about how my circumstances affect me because I no longer factor self in the equation. Therefore, I can take anything that people want to give. When you do this type of patience, when you think of this type of patience, I want you to think of the prophet Jeremiah. Listen, look at this verse up here. This is what God said to Jeremiah. You shall speak all these words to them, I mean the people of Israel, but they will not listen to you. And you shall call to them, but they will not answer you. Jeremiah was told, your ministry will be an utter failure. The people will not listen to you, but you've got to be faithful to me. That's why he was a weeping prophet. He saw no success. He was a prophet that lived in the final days of the crumbling nation of Judah. He was the last prophet that God had sent to preach the southern kingdom. Remember, God had repeatedly warned Israel, to stop their idolatrous behavior, but they would not listen. So he divided the 12 tribes of Israel apart, sending the 10 northern tribes into captivity at the hands of the Syrians. Then God sent Jeremiah to give Judah the last warning before he cast them out of the land by the king, pagan kingdom of Babylon. Now Jeremiah, by the way, he was only 17 when God called him, obviously had great inner turmoil over the fate of his people and he begged them to listen and he is known as the weeping prophet because he cried tears of sadness not only because he knew he was about what was about to happen but because no matter how hard he tried the people would not listen and he knew they wouldn't listen and to make matters worse Jeremiah found no human comfort God had forbid him to marry or have children Jeremiah 16.2. His friends turned their backs on him. And so along with the burden of the knowledge of impending judgment, he was alone, so he felt loneliness. God knew that this was the best course for Jeremiah because he went on to tell him that the horrible conditions that would happen in a short amount of time for Israel, with babies, children, and adults dying grievous deaths their bodies unable to even be buried, and their flesh devoured by birds. Sin had so hardened the people that even though Jeremiah preached to them for, do you know how many years he preached for them? With no success, 40 years. Instead, Jeremiah, not only did he did not see any success, he suffered. He was rejected by his people he was slandered he was left alone he was beaten put in stocks he received death threats left to die in the mud that's just to name a few of his trials yet he endured patiently because he had long suffering in humility and meekness he could be patient through any circumstances for god's causes because whatever happened to him, it didn't really matter. You take what people throw at you. And it's, it's funny because we are always surprised when someone insults us or slanders us or hurts us. What else should we expect from a lost and dying world? And we get offended at that. You're gonna get insults and slander in the church. Through believers. Patience, you can take it. You don't give in to negative circumstances and because you've, you're walking in total humility, you're applying to meekness, you know, self is removed, you just can take whatever people throw at you. Because in the end, you don't really matter. All that matters is what? Is God exactly and that's why patience also means this it's used in the New Testament to speak of the attitude that accepts God's plan for everything without question or argument Do you like to argue with God <laughs> like to question God patient people they don't question circumstances because why You can endure them. You can endure them. That's the first part of patience. You can take the negative circumstances. You can endure it. Yet, yeah, you endure it, by the way. You endure it. And what does that mean whenever you have to endure something? Is it comfortable or is it uncomfortable? But you've got the power in you to do it. Where does the power come from? Holy Spirit. So you can endure you go through it patient people don't question people because it it can take people i can take whatever you throw at me so long suffering doesn't question circumstances because it can endure them it doesn't question people because it can take whatever people throw at you now watch this next week we're going to learn that in the process and this is radical it can love people through it. Because what's the next thing? It's not joyful love, it's what? Forbearing love. <laughs> okay, forbearing love. Forbearing love is the love that God applies to us. Okay? Because we're the worst. We're the worst. But again, I say to you that this patience, it doesn't question God. It's a kind of patience that says, God, if this is what your plan is for me, then so be it. It is a surrendered attitude that trusts God to work all things out as he sees fit. Now hear me on this. It may mean I see justice during my time on earth. And it may mean I see no justice during my time on earth. But that doesn't matter because I have set aside my self interests. What matters is God's will be done. David was patient. He could have taken out Saul twice. He didn't. He was humble, total humility, Meekness applied and he was patient. That patience meant what for David? More years of suffering. By the way, that's how God forms Christ-like character. That's his pattern, he did it with Joseph, remember that? He did it with Moses, he did it with David, he'll do it in your life, he does it in our lives. But if we run from the conflict, run from the pain, which is what most of us do, then what do you forfeit? What do you forfeit? Christ-like character. And a reward when he returns. That's why I've told you in this series, step into conflict. Embrace the conflict. Let God do the work in and through you. Okay. You've got the power to get, to endure it. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And it says, "You know what, God? I leave vengeance for you to dispense in your wisdom." Now, Stephen gives us a, an example of this character trait in action, that is patience, because he was a man that says full the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean that he was full of the Holy Spirit in Acts 6:5? well in fact you can turn to this chapter while I'm speaking here full of the Holy Spirit means that in Stephen's life he was so surrendered and dependent upon the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit was able to produce in him what we call the fruit of the Spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control now you might understand if you listen to that phrase again the fruit of the Spirit are what love Joy, peace, now what's next? Patience, what we're talking about. Kindness, goodness, and what else? Gentleness, we've talked about those two things already, okay? And self-control. The Holy Spirit produced that in him. He wasn't trying to be patient. He wasn't trying to create patience, or trying to be gentle. It was produced in him because of he allowed the Spirit to do a work in him Therefore, again, he was full of grace and power and performed great signs and wonders among the people. He went through that prayer, Ephesians three fourteen to 21. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelled in his heart through faith. Christ was settled down in his heart. He was Lord over every area of his life. He operated out of a foundation of, of love. God fulfilled him, and then God did the miraculous through him form great signs and wonders. So he went through the, that progressive steps. But he was, among other things, also patient and gentle. So when he was placed before the council, this gentle and patient man spoke powerfully and boldly. And look what it says in Acts seven fifty one through 60. You men, who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. So he is talking to the Jewish leadership, and he is confronting them. And he is a patient, gentle, humble man. But you may say, I don't see that in here, but if you understand what we've gone through in this whole series, that's exactly what a patient, a humble, patient, gentle man looks like. It's right here. There is the lion in him, and God has given him permission to let that lion roar. And he comes out, and he says, you are doing just as what your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You have received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. I mean, he is, in their face, calling it out. Now, when they heard this they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him but being full of the holy spirit and again you see that he is full of the holy spirit who was directing his words these were direct accusations it was the truth he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of god and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They laid their robes aside, why? So they could pick up and get more strength and more motion to throw heavier and bigger rocks verse 59 they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said Lord Jesus receive my spirit then falling on his knees he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against them and having said this he fell asleep see Stephen surrendered to God's plan for his life without any bitterness or any resentment toward his murderers. How is that possible? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was, and he was, it was impossible to offend that man. And that's the whole point. You can live an offense free life just stay out of my lane when I'm driving and I'll be good, okay? But notice, he did not question God as to why he suffered. Instead, he endured patient macrothermia, the slander and the physical abuse, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, was enabled enabled to utter these last words, which were what? Lord, do not hold this sin against him, how? In the world is that possible? And this is not Jesus. This is a man like you and me. Now Jesus is the sum of these three character traits. See, he endured negative circumstances. Jesus came from heaven. He was worshipped all the time. He was praised all the time. He lived in perfect, loving fellowship with the Father all the time perfect love of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And he humbled himself, became a man, lived among the world of men, and the world of men mistreated him. Number two, he took the abuse of men. But what did humanity do to him? They would lie, they would slander, they would mock, they would curse, they would spit, they would beat, they would whip, and they would crucify him on a cross. He took it. And he accepted God's plan for his life. Remember knowing the suffering that awaited him the night before his crucifixion, he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but yet what? Not as I will, but as you will. He accepted God's plan without question and arguing. And while hanging on the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I have a question for you. There is Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His murderers, the people are spitting on him. They're they're insulting him. What happens to people that God forgives? Where do they end up? In heaven. Where is Jesus? In heaven. So what is Jesus asking when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? He was asking the Father to bring some of the people who lied and slandered and mocked and cursed and spit and beaten, and whipped and crucified him to be with him forever. In heaven. Folks, that is patience. That's patience with God's plan, with people and with circumstances. And because he saw his negative circumstances as part of God's plan, directed by a sovereign, loving, heavenly Father, he could endure them, which also meant he could endure whatever abuse people dished out because he was completely resigned to total humility, which produced meekness, which produces long suffering, with circumstances, with people, even with God. And so we get cut off the intersection, we fly into road rage. Right? So I want to close this morning with a a true story. It's from history.com. It's a story of the first time a famed journalist by the name of Henry Morton Stanley. You ever hear of him? I doubt you have if you're history buff. You probably won't remember them at the end of this story. Henry Morton Stanley. It's the first time he met the famous explorer and Christian missionary, David Livingstone. You ever heard that name, David Livingstone? Okay. On March 12th, 1871, Henry Morton Stanley set out from the African port of Bagamoyo Bagamoyo, on what he hoped would be a career-making adventure. The 30-year-old journalist had arrived on the dark continent of Africa at the behest of the New York Herald newspaper. But he wasn't chasing any ordinary scoop. He'd been placed in charge of a grand expedition to find the explorer and missionary David Livingstone, who had vanished in the heart of Africa several years earlier. Despite never having set foot in Africa before, he assembled a caravan of over 100 porters who struck out into the unknown. Whatever Livingstone is, Be sure I shall not give up the chase, Stanley wrote later to the New York Herald's editor. If alive, you shall hear what he has to say. If dead, I will find him and bring his bones to you. At that time, Stanley began his relief operation. Dr. David Livingstone was the most renowned of all the explorers of Africa. Among other exploits, listen to this, the Scottish missionary and abolitionist had survived a lion attack charted the Zambezi River, and walked from one side of the continent to the other. In 1866, he embarked on what was supposed to be his last and greatest expedition, a quest to locate the fabled source of the Nile River. And this mission was supposed to last two years. Yet in 1871, nearly six years had passed with only a few scattered updates on Livingstone's whereabouts. Many Europeans had given him up for dead. On November 10th, 1871, after hearing rumors of a white man living in Ujiji, Stanley donned his finest set of clothes and entered the town with a small band of followers. As crowds of locals gathered around them, Stanley spied a sickly looking European with an unruly beard and white hair and see, sensing he had found his man, he approached, extended his hand, and asked a now famous question, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. When the stranger answered in the affirmative, Stanley out a sigh of relief. I thank God, doctor, I have been permitted to see you, he said. Now despite his failing health, Livingstone refused an offer to return home and resumed his search for the source of the Nile. Stanley was with livingstone for several months who by this time was an old man and this is what he said livingstone and hear this never spoke to me about spiritual things livingstone was busy doing what he was doing with africans Stanley was just hanging around observing and throughout the months he watched the old man he said livingstone's habits were beyond my comprehension And the thing that amazed me most was his patience. He could not understand, says his biographer, that Livingstone really had such patience and sympathy for those pagan Africans. For the sake of Christ and his gospel, David Livingstone was patient, untiring, eager, and literally spending himself, in fact, he spent himself for his master's cause, And Stanley later reported that he was surprised and captivated by the courtesy, dignity, and high standards, or high morals, of Dr. David Livingstone. In writing of Livingstone, later in life, Stanley noted, lowly of spirit, sound familiar? Meek in speech, merciful in heart, pure in mind, and peaceful in act. During health or sickness, he was consistently noble, upright, pious, and manly in all the days of my companionship with him. But it was Livingstone's patience and perseverance that impressed Stanley the most. Stanley wrote this in his journal, When I saw that unwearied patience, that unflagging zeal, those enlightened sons of Africa, I became a Christian at his side, though he never spoke to me one word. Now, after being resupplied by Stanley, Livingstone parted with his rescuers in March of 1872, made his way south to Lake Benguela in modern-day Zambia. His illnesses later caught up with him, however, and he died from malaria and dysentery on May 1st, 1873. It was while returning home from the Ashanti War that Stanley heard the, of the death of Dr. David Livingstone. And he wrote this, Dear Livingstone, Another sacrifice for Africa. His, meaning God's mission, however, must not be allowed to cease. Others must go forward and fill the gap. May I be selected to succeed in opening up Africa for the light of Christianity. May Livingstone's God be with me. May God direct me as he wills. I can only vow to be obedient and not to slacken. Spirit filled. Patience. And so it is these things right here, folks. You see those three? This is what that word means patience. The ability to endure negative, negative circumstances, to take whatever people dish out, and accept God's plan without question. Folks, that person right there, they are almost impossible to offend. And let's pray. That our daily walk is characterized, our worthy walk, our balanced walk is characterized with this type of patience. And so i want to ask you just to memorize these three aspects of patience. Because when life gets hard, and let's face it, hard is relative. There's real hard, like Ukraine real hard right now. And there's not quite as hard, but still it's hard. This is the value of doing a word study. Put this in you. Bring it to mind. Um, Trust me, you can endure your negative circumstances, even though you think you can't and you feel you can't. You can endure whatever people take, whatever they dish out. You can take it. You can. And you don't have to question God about it. Because you don't matter. What matters is him. Let's pray. Father, as we close with our last song, in Psalm 25 it says that, Lord, teach us your paths and your ways. Teach us to be patient. Remind us that we have everything we need for life and godliness, including we can be patient We can be supernaturally patient. We can be the patient as Jesus. We can be patient as Stephen, patient as David. We can endure negative circumstances. We can take whatever people dish out. And we don't question you. May your church be that patient. Amen.